Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. On this episode, CMR Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton talks with Alexandra Mack, a senior fellow at Pitney Bowes and EPIC board member, about where the social sciences and business come together. I'm sure you'll enjoy this discussion about ethnography. Good morning. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. That's great. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to speak with us. I know that you're very busy, and um, you also have an exciting vacation coming up. So I really do appreciate your time, and I know that our listeners are excited uh, about learning more about ethnography and business and some of the um, some of the pointers that that you and I discussed in a previous call about how ethnography can actually um, provide change management professionals with a, a new view into how some of the organizational cultural uh, dynamics actually work. So we've got a lot going on uh, in this conversation today, and I'm just going to get going and get, get uh, Alex to start sharing with us. So, Alex, can you uh, tell us a little bit about the field of ethnology at ethnography, excuse me, and how it came to exist. Sure. Well, ethnography is, you know, if I get very pedantic about it, it really speaks to uh, the the written work about, you know, um, ethno people and, you know, the graph of the written coming out of uh, anthropological studies of, of people really even going back into the 19th century understanding different cultures, different areas of the world, as the field of anthropology has evolved over the last um, couple of centuries. There are many different techniques and methods available for understanding people, for understanding the context in which they operate, and the social interactions. And I want to spread that out to say a lot of these techniques were developed within the field I was trained in anthropology, but they were have been adopted by people in many other fields, uh, marketing, design, even technology, of saying, hey, we need to understand how people behave, why they behave the way they do, and what that context is around it. And we can apply that understanding, certainly uh, in the academic sense, to broader, deeper understandings of the world, but we can also start applying that understanding in practical ways. That's great. And tell us a little bit about how you see um, ethnography really impacting business today. Well, there are actually a whole lot of ways in which ethnography gets employed in business. You know, as I may have already gotten an indication when I said, you know, look, there's uh, anthropologists, there's designers, there's marketers, there's technologists, which that in itself, just the multidisciplinary nature, tells you the different areas and departments it goes into. I think one thing that, um, you know, maybe gets a lot of attention and quite a few of the, you know, the folks I'm colleagues with work in is the design world, uh, innovation and design. I'll use that together broadly, but saying, look, if you understand what people are doing, uh, how they interact, then you can start getting some better ideas for new products and services because we actually understand what people need. 
So that's a fairly, um, when I say common, you know, well, maybe better known in public imagining. But it's also been important for ethnography to feed in to, say, more corporate strategy. Where are things going in the future? Uh, as and And how should we play this out? How do these factors of what people are doing affect where business is going? There are yes. also just ways of a second. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, sorry to have interrupted you. I um, I was just thinking as you were speaking about, you know, what some examples might be uh, in business uh, where ethnography has had an impact on a business outcome. Sure. Uh, you know, one, there, there are several interesting examples of this. I'll give a few that have, uh, that, that have been published. One, I was um, thinking about, especially trying to draw relations to your change management world, is um, Marietta Baba and her colleagues have done some interesting work with international organizations mm-hmm. where they showed that, you know, when you just put um, technology solutions in place without understanding the social interactions, that, you know, ultimately a lot of those technology initiatives will fail. So, you know, oh, you know, we've got teams that are around the world. We just need great. We have, you know, we do. In the 21st century, we have some fantastic technologies to connect us real time uh, internationally. But it goes beyond the technology. It's what are, what are the social interactions? What do people really mean when they say certain things? That you have to really understand that. It's not just laying a new technology on. It's understanding what's going on underneath. So that can have a real business impact to say, uh, what you know, it goes beyond putting in new systems and training people to get familiar with it, but making sure those new systems fit in with the way people work and the way they interact. Perhaps a more uh, immediately tangible example of going back to the you know, product design world. So it's a thing I mentioned to you in a previous conversation is um, yogurt, you know, those little squeezy tubes of yogurt right. kind of ubiquitous these days. Uh, that really came out of a, a project um, that was the, the team that was on that really went in there and understood how and when kids actually eat and what parents care about, why, you know, kids were skipping breakfast, when do they want to eat. And what you got with yogurt was, well, kids now get something fun. You know, oh, this is fun and different. I can eat it whenever I want to, like on the playground. Kids don't really wait till lunch to eat their lunch when they're <laughs> at school. And uh, parents are feeling like, okay, but this is healthy. You know, I'm not just giving them snacky food. I'm giving them something healthy. So there are uh, many examples like that where you can say, look, that deeper understanding really led to a successful product in the world. Yes, and in that example, it reminds me of, you know, um, my own surprise when a brand brings out a new application of a product or a new product and, uh, you know, you say, how did they come up with that? And it's really the stories like this that you're telling that um, it seems like, you know, the multidisciplinary team that gets together and um, works on it is is really part of the solution to figuring out what's next and uh, what's really going to stick uh, from a, a social and cultural perspective. So one of the things that um, we spoke about last time that I thought was so interesting, Alex, was 
um, how you were talking about uh, ethnography being the the written or the recorded um, part of the science of uh, anthropology and some of the techniques and methods that we spoke about and how they worked within um, business were, were really interesting. And I think we talked about it in context of organizational culture. Would you be able to uh, share with us some of the, the um, methods and tools that, you know, ethnographers use to actually get uh, information that will give you, that will help people to understand what people might be resisting uh, in an organizational change? Well, sure. I mean, you know, I'll kind of run through different techniques that we use, and then I guess I can uh, give an example of a project from my own past that I think had a little bit to do with organizational awesome. change. So, you know, the, the very basic thing is observation. Really being there, you think of a fly on the wall, seeing what people are actually doing while they're doing it. Uh, is you know, kind of that core of ethnography and the, the basis now. Everyone knows well, that's not always realistic to be able to just uh, shadow people and be there all the time. So there's variations on that. There's possibly spending a couple of hours with them with a more contextual interview where instead of just being observational, you're there while they're doing the work you're interested in but maybe interspersing a few questions or asking them to think aloud while they're doing it so that you get at least a bite of, mm. of the work that they're doing. There are also just direct back and forth interviews where you have kind of like we're doing now, where we have prepared questions and answers. There are uh, techniques that maybe don't require as much face-to-face, -face, asking people to keep diaries, whether they are um, written logs or now, again, I bring up, you know, the wonderful tools we have that can be done online or with mobile, keeping records of what they're doing throughout their day or what they're doing in the area that you are interested in. Uh, photography, even taking advantage of, of social media. So there are a lot of techniques that help you really get at and understand what people are doing, and you always know, kind of say, you know, like with any science, well, what's the question you're asking, and so therefore, what's what's the best technique to get at it? Then, of course, in the business world where you may have constraints of time and budget and resources, then you have to balance against what you can do as well. A project. This is from several years ago, because I do have to be a little careful about some of my more recent work, but I thought this might be a um, Good example for change management. Several several years ago, my company, Pitney Bowes, used to own a managed services business. It was Pitney Bowes Management Services. Uh, this um, business ran mail rooms, coffee centers, other facilities for companies. So, you know, for instance, even um, today, you know, if there's a mail room downstairs, it may be employees of your company or it may be employees of a managed service business. This is the kind of of business it was. We you know provide the the workers and the and the structure for running you know, sort of an in-source, outsource business. Um, there was a premise from upper management that did come a little bit out of surveys that it's local managers, you know, the people who, who manage the staff and their directors, and the directors might oversee several of these managers, could more effectively use their time. They could be more responsive to clients' needs, mm -hmm. right? Sounds a bit Six Sigma-ish, and it was. The research was actually done under a Six Sigma project but we really did more ethnographic research and what we learned. So there were a few things we did. We actually went on site with some of them 
and did shadow them throughout their day. And we also had several of them keep time diaries. Uh, in this case, the time diary is appropriate because we were looking at how people were using their time. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty interesting. At first glance, you could say, look, they aren't using the time efficiently. They weren't spending more than a few minutes on any task and were very interruption-driven. But then if you took a closer look and really as we analyzed what we were seeing and what we delivered back was saying being interruption-driven was actually core to the value they were providing because they were needing to be responsive to their clients and employees. Now, that's not to say there weren't ways to make their work work smoother, but you need to rethink what you meant about using time efficiently and effectively and to understand that, you know, maybe that, that split attention, while it can be hard, it it was how they could be very responsive. So some of that's a bit of a reframing as well. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. I spent an hour or so on Twitter this morning reading some of the news feeds coming in, and there are just a lot of um, articles out there on multitasking and how do you actually – you know, work in a more integrated way without interruptions. And here's an example of the opposite being valuable. Right. And I don't know that in general business, I don't know that we'd actually think about that um, 100%. So that, that's a really great example. Uh, one of the questions that I, I had for you um, as you were talking was, when you're working in an organization and you're doing observations and you're having people, quote, unquote, think out loud, how do the people that you're observing react? What do they think of having someone in the room with them uh, observing what they're doing and saying and thinking? Well, I mean, first of all, you do, you only do this with permission of the people to be there. So uh-huh. you know, there's definitely, you know, uh, you know, ethical guidelines, you know, people – you don't go into the room doing this without, you know, people people knowing you're there and agreeing to it. Uh, you know, often there's an incentive for that. Most people find it, uh, they like that you're that interested in what they're doing. Some of them <laughs> are a little bit embarrassed at first, like, oh, this is, you know, this is boring, this is stupid stuff. But really most people, you know, you're, you care about what they're doing. Mm. And most people start then relaxing into it and realizing, okay, this is this is cool, or even forgetting that you're there if it's more observational. Now, every once in a while, you just get someone who's not as comfortable, um, not you know, with their words and thinking aloud and being descriptive about what they're doing. There's some techniques to draw out more descriptions from them, but there's just you know, we're all different people, and um, some people are are um, more verbal and open than others. But generally. You know, if somebody's agreed to have you there, they're um, they're quite open and they like the fact that you care. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, the point you make about that they like the fact that you care because, you know, in a lot of the change management work um, that we do, it is about communicating and it is about, you know, making sure that we're taking the time to give the feedback and to listen and you know really show understanding through caring. So this is just another another way that it happens. And what do you actually say to folks when you come into the room to do the observation? What's kind of the, the phraseology uh, about positioning yourself there? Well, so they usually have some background in you being there. You haven't just shown up, but I usually... <laughs> 
We'll begin with explaining to them once again, you know, what the, again, what the project is, what mm-hmm. what we're trying to accomplish, why we're interested in them, allowing them a chance to ask any questions that they have, reassuring them that you know there is confidentiality mm-hmm. to what they are doing and saying. Um, sometimes you do have to make sure. Um, especially when it's internal, you know, look, your manager isn't going to know what you said. You're, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I will say, you know, at least where I've done internal projects at Pitney Bowes, generally it's an opportunity for people to um, maybe release a lot of what they're feeling and, mm-hmm. and be very open and honest. But the, a big part of the frame is just this is what I'm doing and why. This is how this, is, you know, this is what we're going to be doing here with you today. Mm-hmm. And this is how it's going to be used. That's awesome. It's just it's it still is fascinating to me that by observing, people can get that kind of acknowledgement. But it's really cool, very cool. Um, so I know that um, ethnography has uh, you know been an evolutionary uh, profession and. The EPIC organization started about 10 years ago, I believe. And can you tell us a little bit about the EPIC organization and the conference you have coming up and, you know, what's on the agenda and um, how we can learn more about this exciting field? Sure. I mean, so our organization, as as you mentioned, it actually started in 2005 with a conference. Mm-hmm. And over the last few years, we, we have the conference every year. This year, it will be in Minneapolis starting on August 29th. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. But as an organization beyond the conference, we've been um, trying to grow so that there is more year-round value for people. So the conference and getting together face-to-face is fantastic, but we also want to become a place and a community where people can uh, share expertise, um, have discussions, uh, look for jobs, connect, talk, and learn. So we have our website, epicpeople.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, includes all the content from our past conferences. It also includes perspective pieces and some discussion boards and job boards. So, And we'll be growing out over the next few years, even growing out the kinds of educational opportunities we provide for, for both individual practitioners as well as the companies that, that hire them. So look for those changes to come. Now, our conference, as I mentioned, is in just a couple of weeks uh, in, many, in the wonderful city of Minneapolis. We have a theme of pathmaking, and that's really to focus on transformation, growth, and new directions. We are thrilled to be partnered with the University of Minnesota, both through the anthropology department and also through the Carlson School of Business. And so that speaks to, you know, yes, we want time because we care about the um, the underlying social and contextual and some of the thinking and theories we gain from, from academics and the social sciences, but also in the practical business. And in addition to our peer-reviewed content, there are going to be um, papers presented, as well as we have a very fun format called Pichakucha, which comes out of Japan, and there's a, a I, I did one last year, so I should have it on top of my head. It's um, 20 slides, and you have 20 seconds per slide. So it's a very rapid-fire format for people sharing um, thoughts and ideas and very visual. Uh-huh. But during the conference, we also have tutorials. 
Um, so direct learning opportunities that people can sign up for, as well as taking advantage of our relationship with the Carlson School of Business, a special business strategy short courses taught by business professors. So there's a variety of you know, learning opportunities, knowledge sharing, um, networking, and hey, we're going to be uh, having our conference dinner at the Minnesota State Fair, and I don't think you can beat that. So. Right. That's great. And I I believe we also discussed that uh, there is a significant amount of information on change management and organizational change being covered um, at the conference. Yes, and one of the uh, one of the paper sessions is specifically about organizational change. Mm. So. That's great. That's really great. And um, if can you tell us just a little bit about. Uh, who your sponsors are and the types of professionals that will be attending from their companies? Uh, sure. So we have, you know, as as I mentioned, you know, we have people coming from many different disciplines. We often at the beginning of the conference say, you know, who here is trained as an anthropologist, a designer, a, you know, when I say technologist broadly, you know, engineers, people with a more technical training, marketing, business, so a real variety and everything from we do we are we do consider ourselves a professional practitioner conference, although you know students do attend, graduate students who want to be learning more and getting into the field. We have attendees who are, you know, you know, CEOs of their own businesses. Mm-hmm. We have people who are vice presidents within larger companies like Wells Fargo, who's a sponsor, and Steelcase, uh, who's a sponsor. Uh, and our sponsors also come from, um, oh, I, I almost hate to, to um, mention some while leaving out others, but <laughs> but perhaps to highlight some of our largest sponsors, uh, Intel, Salesforce, Nissan are some of our top-level sponsors, but also a lot of consulting firms who um, who do this kind of work and can help provide it to other companies. That's great. Well, it's it's a fascinating uh, field, and um, I really appreciate your time and sharing what it is and how it got there and some of the potential applications for uh, for it within the change management profession. Um, And if people want to learn more about the EPIC organization, they would go to www.epicpeople.org. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, so that's where the conference information and any other uh, information around papers or previously published uh, documentation would be. Correct. So folks are definitely looking at where technology and society is going and understanding how the social aspects fit into that. Uh, Certainly some of the trendy examples, people are thinking about Internet of Things and big data, but, Mm -hmm. you know, We'll go in other directions. Melissa Sufkin at Nissan is thinking about autonomous vehicles and what kind of social intelligence do autonomous mm. vehicles need. Uh, folks at Steelcase uh, look at how the physical environment of work empowers people. Uh, you know, how are they affecting how people interact with each other in the world? And you know, to be most careful about it, as we talk about new thinking and new directions the world is going, as ethnographers, we also have to be alert for understanding, um, you know, what's What's more ephemeral? And we had a wonderful keynote speaker from Google last year, Elizabeth Churchill, who's a member of our community, and she put it, we have to understand what's perennial and and what goes away. So so a lot of exciting areas. 
for for research. Yeah, that is that is um, it's really interesting how so many different um, disciplines come together and ask these questions that uh, get answered by so many disciplines. That's the thing. It's it's really you could almost be interested in anything and go to you know a conference like this or a, a meeting and learn something that you never even thought about before. So, well, I hope we see some of your colleagues next month. Or yes. I guess it'll be this month by the time this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's great. Okay, well, we'll definitely uh, touch bases and uh, with you after the conference and see how it went. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast listening to Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review and Alexandra Mack, Senior Fellow at Pitney Bowes and Epic Board Member. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.